Hello and welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, the conversation at the crossroads of faith and psychedelics. I'm Clint, your host, and I'm thankful and excited that you've chosen to join us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 17 of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to have a change of pace regarding the usual format. Usually, I'm the one interviewing a guest, but today, I am the guest. This conversation was originally released on the now-retired Cucumber Talks podcast in February of 2022. I'm very grateful that these guys invited me to share my story with them. Some of you may have already heard this interview. And if you have, you can skip the conversation, but you might want to hang around for my closing comments. My thoughts and feelings on the overlap of psychedelics and Christian faith are ever-evolving as I continue to learn and understand more about my own experiences and the experiences of others. So following the interview, I'll share my current thoughts on the topic and the direction I see psychedelics moving in culture and how we as Christians can understand and navigate this movement. Here, late in the year 2022, massive change concerning drug policy on a state and federal level in the United States appears to be on the horizon. The President of the United States recently spoke to the need for reforming federal policy on cannabis, and a number of states are currently crafting laws and regulations concerning legal psychedelics. Also, many other nations around the world are advancing the legalization of psychedelics and other substances. Also, a number of politicians across the political spectrum are attempting to advance legislation concerning psychedelic therapy. So, as I've stated multiple times in the past, Christians must begin to investigate this topic so we can make informed decisions about the proper role psychedelics might have in the Christian life. Since this interview, I have become slightly more open to sharing my thoughts on the topic of psychedelics and the podcast with people I know and am more willing to openly discuss the topic with my family, acquaintances, and fellow Christians. I'm recognizing that in order to continue this endeavor, I cannot operate in the shadows. I must be willing to openly share my thoughts on the topic and navigate any challenging social dynamics that arise in the process. So have a listen, reflect on my thoughts, and please feel free to share your thoughts with me. You can most effectively reach me via email, contact at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. And you can also communicate with me on Twitter, MeWe, Float, or Facebook. You can also make comments on the website or share your thoughts on the YouTube page. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast app. Also, please share the show with others and consider making a donation to the show by visiting thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com slash support. And for now, enjoy the conversation. Hello, and welcome to Cucumber, Talk, Cucumber Talks. Today's guest is Clint. He's the creator and host of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, where he's seeking to bring his fellow Christians into the modern conversation about psychedelics and plant medicine. We're super excited to have him on and learn about what psychedelics and Christianity have in common. 
We hope to get a better understanding of his beliefs, personal experience, and what really drives him to speak honestly about these two words that, honestly, I, I don't often see together. But uh, Chris, or Clint, sorry, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. We're honored to have you. <laughs> We've had so many Chris's on this show. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> I have one question for y'all, though. Shoot. What, what, why cucumber? What's cucumber? <laughs> Marshall, go. <laughs> I always get to get to do this one, right? Um, we really just Your couldn't baby. come up with a <laughs> we just couldn't come up with a name for the show in the beginning. And so we went with the I think there's a story about Apple had the same issue where they didn't know what to call it, so they had put a placeholder out there and then a week later we said, "Okay, if if we haven't come up with anything better, then we'll stick with I think it was just the cucumber at the time. And then uh, a week later, we didn't have anything better. So Bryce went with cucumber talks. So it's kind of like TED Talks, but not quite as serious. <laughs> hey, it works. I like it. I like it. And don't forget the part where there's another podcast that started at the exact same time as us. And <laughs> with a very similar setup with three guys who are all millennials and they're they go by the name Cucumber Talk without the S. And we actually had a, a a podcast together, an episode together, and bonded over our weird name. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to do it. Instead of fighting over the turf, just uh, just meet in the middle and share and laugh about the uh, synchronicity. I was going to jokingly say, and now we're all enemies. <laughs> no. It's all, uh, it's all good. It's all love with cucumber talk. <laughs> it's very fitting. <laughs> so, um, Clint, yeah, I, I'm curious. On your podcast, uh, you you shared your first experience with pot. Could you talk a little bit more about that? <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, I grew up in a in a small town, and uh, you know, kind of wherever you might not have known everybody, but. Uh, you know, you knew everybody's uncle or grandpa or, or second cousin. So, um, it was a tight knit community and, you know, drugs and alcohol were, I guess I would say prevalent, but it was, it was, you know, it was very under the surface. And, and so, you know, I was, I was a good, a pretty good kid, um, tried to stay out of trouble, but, uh, my interests in, and things like uh, alcohol leaded, led me to end up in places where, you know, I would be in the in atmospheres where there were older people. So um, I partied with a lot of a lot of people. And one night we were at an old old well site and it was getting late. And most of the the. Uh, most of the people had thinned out, but there was still uh, quite a few guys hanging around, had the, you know, classic rock going and people were smoking cigarettes and drinking Bud Light. And, uh, you know, somebody pulled out a doobie and started passing it around. And, you know, my friends and I, who were kind of new to the group, you know, we had a choice to make um, right there in the moment. And... You know, I knew most of these guys that were there, the older guys, I knew that they used cannabis and, uh, and they were decent folks. 
And so I just decided to give it a try. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. How old were you at the time? I was 16. Okay. What was your kind of thought process going into it? Did you think you would enjoy it or was it more like a peer pressure type thing or how did, what was your, uh, what was your thought process Hmm. on that? Good question. I never, you know, when you're a kid, all you constantly warned about peer pressure, peer pressure. Um, I was never one to be forced into doing something I didn't want to do. And I remain that way to this day. And uh, so no one there could have uh, forced me or bribed me into doing that. Um, It just seemed like something that I thought there was a lot of negative hype connected with cannabis. And my main concern was, you know, getting on the wrong side of the law. That was a really my only concern, just legal concerns. And of course, you know, family, I would have, I would have, uh, you know, been run through the ringer at home if I'd got busted smoking pot with some 'er ne'er-do-wills. Yeah. I'm curious. What was, what was the home situation like and what was the church situation like? Was it just zero tolerance for anything? Hmm. Alcohol, drug related. Was it discussed and when you were growing up with, with adults in the community, did you have some type of mentor or was it just teenage curiosity and you had to discover everything on your own? Yeah. Mm. Like a don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. Yeah. 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 That's, no, Cause that's no. how it was for me. <laughs> yeah. No, I was raised, um, in a Southern Baptist church. Um, you know, like many, uh, towns, you know, our little small town was on the outside of a bigger city. And, you know, in the city, you had the kind of small mega church, you know, with thousands of people, you know, the local big First Baptist Church. Um, the church I was raised in was more, um, you know, the, the churches that you see just scattered about the community, the little Baptist or Methodist church that has maybe 100 to 500 people. And, so I was raised in a small church like that, you know, from basically from my birth, small Baptist church. Um, my parents were good, you know, hardworking blue collar people. Uh, they, they experienced a lot of negative circumstances in their childhood in regards to alcohol and drugs. Um, there were a lot of family issues in their, in their families as children, negative experiences with alcoholics and drug addicts. And so they, they definitely made it a point to their three sons that, you know, alcohol and drugs were not something uh, that would be tolerated. And, and that was obviously reinforced by, you know, the dare and, you know, school, school programs, church programs, um, about the dangers of drug and alcohol use. So no, that was not tolerated. Uh, but what you mentioned about, you know, that need for some teenagers to just investigate everything for themselves, that definitely resonated with me. You know, I, I never, I've, 
I was never really willing to take anybody else's word for it. I had to had to learn the hard way and sometimes still have to learn the hard way. <laughs> so was it very much like the stereotypical marijuana as a gateway drug type experience for you where it started there and then you started doing started adventuring with other uh, other substances or uh yeah what was the process like yeah um yeah well i there was a lot of drinking in uh in the clique that i hung around with so from those ages of say 14 15 uh till i was about 19 uh it was it was regular, uh, heavy alcohol consumption. Uh, you know, lots of uh, keg parties and, and hunch punch. I'm not sh- sure if y'all are familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had uh, hunch punch before. Drains concoction. What, what is the what's the the liquor? The uh, Everclear. Yeah. yeah. Or any Everclear other clear and Kool Aid variety of things you can pour into a cooler and <laughs> dispense. Uh, wary, t- un, you know, unwitting teenagers. <laughs> so yeah lots of uh unfortunately uh you know lots of weekend benders uh you know to my parents dismay uh, i was gonna but, say did your parents know about this kind of going on mm-hmm. secretly yeah. somewhat secretly uh, you know obviously i would try to disguise it but at some point either myself or one of my friends was constantly getting you know, busted one way or the other. So if one parent found out, they all found out. And so, it, you know, just, it, it was obvious, you know, to my, uh, I thought I was, you know, cool and I was, had it all under control and no one knew, but, uh, you know, adults have ways of, of reading the situation that, uh, kids just aren't, just have no understanding of. So, and, and so, yeah, uh, you know, when you, when, because I think because of the war on drugs and because everything is underground, um, when you're surrounded by people who are drinking heavy and people who are using cannabis, uh, at some point, someone is bound to experiment with other, other drugs as well. So there was, there was a plethora of other things, you know, uh, mostly other than cannabis, it was mostly methamphetamine and, I had very little experience with that and it did not resonate with me at all. And, um, you know, just like, uh, I guess when someone tells you, you know, I don't drink and it's not for a, you know, spiritual or religious reason, they basically just say, I don't like the taste of it. It doesn't resonate with me. You know, it just feels awful. Uh, that's, that's the way I felt about that. You know, um, any kind of speed or anything. It just, it was, it was immediately off putting. And so I just didn't, I didn't mess around with that. And, and there really wasn't, Oh, at least to my, my knowledge, I didn't see a lot of other substances available um, other than cannabis. It was, it was readily available. So, and uh, I used cannabis for a few years and, other than just getting in trouble with parents or the law and that kind of stuff, it, I couldn't find, I'm speaking solely for myself. I know other people have different experiences, but I couldn't find anything 
negative um, other than maybe, you know, eating too many chocolate chip cookies or slamming a few too many bags of Doritos. We always had that late night McDonald's run. You know. <laughs> the taco, <laughs> 3 a.m. Taco Bell. Yep. <laughs> Bacon, egg, and cheese bagel at like four. Oh. <laughs> uh. Well, before we get into the the psychedelic the psychedelic stuff, I think it'd be cool if you gave your personal definition of psychedelics versus other types of drugs. I think it'd be helpful for our audience to be able to distinguish the differences between psychedelics and maybe other uh popular drugs such as marijuana. I know some people consider marijuana as, as a psychedelic when it's an edible or, you know, I, I'm curious what, what you think, um, how you define psychedelics and what other, and how you compare them to other drugs, because I assume a lot of our audience is kind of naive to psychedelics. Well, and as a kid growing up, like you said, the dare or the whatever it is that's out there, it's all just this line and everything on the other side is scary off the, you know, out of reach, whatever you want to call it. And so whether, you know, this whole gambit of things of, 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 you know, whether it's marijuana or meth or, you know, all the different things are all kind of lumped in the same thing. And, uh, well, even like, not even even that for for me in my childhood cigarettes nicotine <laughs> but there was definitely a line between even in my very sheltered childhood there was a line between pot and like acid or um you know magic mushrooms like yeah in my mind i, I thought acid was like the super hard drug that if you used you would like life would be completely devastated instantly yeah, right. Exactly. So anyway, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about <laughs> the differences between them. Okay. I'm, I'm, again, I'm speaking only from my own perspective here and I'll, I'll do my best. Um, you know, classically the drugs that are classified as psychedelics usually are LSD, psilocybin mushrooms, and uh, cacti that contain mescaline, like peyote. And there's a few other cacti that contain that chemical as well. And, uh, you know, South American teas like ayahuasca, which is a combination of, of plants that have a, a synergy, which results in a psychedelic effect. And um, another plant in Africa called aboga. So most of the classic psychedelics are those or, or synthesized chemicals from those. So you can have psilocybin found in wild mushrooms, or you can have, you know, a chemically derived pharmaceutical type psilocybin. So I guess it's the same active ingredient but you have a natural source and a chemical source. As far as the difference, I don't know if I'm qualified to speak, you know, on the chemistry of everything, but 
the word psychedelic means mind manifesting. And so these tend to be a group of drugs that cause the person to have um, a deep introspection about their life and their psyche. And also sometimes at, at certain doses manifest uh, visual changes, hallucinations, um, and things of that nature. Some people refer to cannabis as a psychedelic because if you've ever overindulged in cannabis, especially through a edible form, um, it definitely borders on that level of intense experience. So if, did that, was that helpful at all? And, and if I can further clarify, you know, please let me know. No, absolutely. I like the mind manifesting aspect or, of the definition. That's, that's interesting. And this, yeah, con- this conversation is bound to, bound to, to move in and out of, you know, different topics. Um, as we discuss this, you know, it, it, I don't know, I don't know where your listeners are in, in regards to the conversation. I don't know how, um, caught up uh, they are on the, um, present science that's going on in the academic world. So there's a lot of information out there. And so if anyone needs further clarification on that, I encourage them to, uh, just do a Google search on any of those compounds or any of those plant medicines, and they'll probably get more information than they bargained for. What are you going to say, Marshall? I was going to say like what, like what you were saying, how, when, you know, as a kid, when you hear about thing, well, let me, let me just rephrase the whole thing. I'm always curious on the, on the side of the experiential side, right? Like what is the experience like of the different things? And yeah, I think psychedelics, like, like you've, like you've said, is a, is a certain type of, as opposed to other things that you can do that are, um, are just going to have a different type of experience as you're going to go through, um, you know, taking it or, or however you're, whatever you're doing with it. Right. You know, pharmaceuticals are the same way. You know, some people, um, use, you know, a pharmaceutical drug to, um, control their anxiety. And, and that might be something that would kind of dial a person down. And then other people may have problems with focus and motivation and they may, you know, use something that, that gives them a lift and, uh, you know, exactly all chemicals, you know, natural or otherwise have these interesting effects on human physiology. Marshall and David, let me put you on the spot. Have you guys done any psychedelics? I haven't. Um, the closest I got to uh, was actually in Saudi Arabia, which is the <laughs> random place where you would get into something That's like this. That's probably the last place on earth you would want Shout to be doing psychedelics. <laughs> I uh, literally almost got kicked out of the country with some friends and uh, teachers who will remain nameless. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so... <laughs> What was that aside from? I mean, it didn't matter. It was all in the same place. So, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, 
but but no, personally, I have not. No. Um. Yeah, I've had marijuana. Um. And I don't think if we're if we're counting marijuana, then yes. But if we're not counting marijuana, oh, I I did. Uh, I had ecstasy one time. Hmm. Uh, would that if that's considered a psychedelic? I uh, I did that once and never again. <laughs> I had the worst experience. Uh, you know, ecstasy. Have you had guests on or any experience with that MDMA? Because I know that that's become kind of trendy. Mm. Is trendy the right word? Yeah. Like MDMA In therapy. Some circles, yeah. yeah. We, I, you mentioned I, per- I personally have not. I personally have not had any experience with the MDMA. Um, when I was young, there were, there were people who would talk about ecstasy or X, they called it. Um, it wasn't prevalent. I knew people who had used it, but I, th- I think what's, you know, colloquially referred to as ecstasy is also something that is rife with, um, interesting recipes. You might say, I think that, that it, there's a lot of unknowns, you know, people, when they get quote unquote ecstasy, um, which I think they're referring to MDMA, I don't, I think the purity of that is very sketchy on, you know, on the street. And I think it always has been, I think it's always been, uh, common for that to be cut with other things, um, which could be potentially very dangerous. Yeah. I don't imagine it's like LSD or, um, and I guess maybe even LSD has different variations, but it not, a, it's not all the same, you know? Right. If you've ever seen like the the pills that like some I forget which one mine had, but like there's like an animal or something, and then there's a color. They come in all sorts of different colors, different prints and stuff on them. Um, and I think that was probably just a big thing in Marion, you know, in Ohio, passing them out like Tic Tacs. Maybe like meth was kind of the thing around your area. Yeah, it was. It was it especially after I kind of aged out of that group. Um, it it, it kind of wreaked havoc on, on our area there for, for about 10 years. It was really bad. Um, people's, you know, uh, would, you know, burn their house down, you know, try, trying to build a meth lab. And um, it was, it was bad. It was real bad. Uh, that seems to be, that seems to be going away now. I mean, it seems to be, I, I don't think less people are using it. I think it's probably just gotten more refined and, and better organized. I would imagine, you know, I've, and I, I have to be frank about when I speak on these things, you know, I've been away from any kind of drug culture for well over 20 years, you know? So, so I, it's other than reading things, you know, online or knowing a few random people, uh, who, who use drugs regularly, uh, like coworkers you know, over the years and, and people like that. Um, you know, I have not been submerged in the culture. So when you speak of things like all the different kinds of ecstasy with the different animals and all that, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know uh, what any of that stuff means. You'd have to you have to ask the kids these days. <laughs> so how did psychedelics 
get into the picture? Yeah, one of my uh, one of my friends, uh, fellow country bumpkin, uh, had a little farm, you know, chickens and cows and such. And uh, I was hanging out over there there one day, probably smoking a lot of pot. I don't recall. That's what we were usually doing when we were hanging out over there. And uh, he said, hey, man, let's let's walk the pasture and uh, see if we can find some shrooms. I was like, oh, really? He's like, I was like, they just grow out here, like, you know, in your yard. And he was like, yeah, sometimes. I was like, OK. I mean, I'd heard about them. Um, but I didn't I don't believe I knew anyone um, that had ever shared their experience with me and talked about using them uh, other than this guy. He, he kind of told me, yeah, I've used them a few times and explained everything. I was, okay, so let's go. So we go grab a basket and go for a walk. And, and, uh, you know, the stars were aligned because we found a plentiful, um, number of them under the oak trees at the edge of his field in the cow dung. And so we collected, you know, as many as we could find. And we didn't know, I didn't personally know anything about, you know, how to consume them where you just, it's, it's a little um, unnerving to pick something up out of a pile of cow feces and then eat it (laughs) directly. So uh, we decided we'd make some tea. We got a big kettle out and put them all in there and filled it up with water and, and set it to boil. Um, in retrospect, I don't know if that was, if, if your intent is to utilize them <laughs> as economically as possible, I don't know that that's the best, uh, method. I, it's my understanding that heat, uh, over prolonged time can degenerate the chemical, make it less effective, but, but I think we had plenty, so I don't think that was a worry. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I personally enjoy, you know, the flavor and smell of, of any kind of mushroom, but you know, it's not something you want to drink a big, uh, <laughs> you know, you just, when you think mushrooms, you think, yeah, on my pasta or my pizza, you don't think I'm going to get a big carafe of, you know, mushroom juice and chug it down. So we were like, man, we got to put something in this. And he had some cherry Kool-Aid. So we put that in there, put, <laughs> oh, nice. put some sugar in there, stirred it up and, and, uh, you know, there was no way to judge what was a reasonable dose or anything. I mean, you know, if you're having a beer or two, you know, you kind of calibrated. You're like, well, I can have a beer and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's not going to inebriate me. Um, well, I, if you just pour a big glass of shrimp tea, you don't know what, I mean, there's no way to know what you got there. So we just kind of rolled the dice and, uh. And drank as much as we felt like was, you know, adequate. And then we just kind of strolled around and waited for the effects to, to come. So what was that like? Hmm. It's been many years, so I'll try to recollect as much as I can. Um, you know, we're out in the country in a farm type atmosphere on a country road and so we just stood out in the front yard under a big oak tree and began to talk and just comment on, you know, 
things that were going on. And I guess I noticed some visual anomalies at first. You know, if, uh, if someone was talking, you know, moving their hands, when someone moved their hand across their body in front of them, uh, you would see what might be called tracers. So like a comet. So like as a person moved their hand, there was like a comet trail behind their hand. And that was probably the first thing I noticed. And being in a, being in a safe place where I felt comfortable, surrounded by people who I felt like I could trust, um, I think that might have, you know, given me the liberty to not have any anxiety about the situation. So as these, these anomalies presented themselves, um, I wasn't fearful, you know, and I was anticipating some kind of effect like that. So I didn't get worried when any of this happened. Um, and I have always tended to be a fairly grounded person. So I wasn't, I wasn't overly concerned when these effects began to take place. Um, I remember every color seemed beautifully exaggerated. So green wasn't just green. It, it vibrated green. It tasted green. It smelled green. You know, everything was, was intense and vibrant and beautiful. And that was, so that was very pleasant. And once, once I adapted to that as, as this is part of the experience and I kind of was no longer overwhelmed by it, um, then I began to become introspective and reconsider a lot of my foundational beliefs and approaches to, to life and to the way I interact with others. All through my childhood, I was a very, um, I was, I was extremely cautious and I was extremely, I would say almost fearful in social situations, you know, other than really close friends or family members, I was, I was not the type of guy who would speak up or introduce myself. You know, I, I was perfectly happy remaining in the shadows. And, and so I began to investigate that uh, in the experience. I began to ask myself, you know, what am I afraid of? You know, why, why am I so introverted? You know, why can I not engage with others openly? And confidently. And, and I, I realized that the only thing preventing me from doing that is my own petty hangups and, and fears. And those only exist inside my head. And I know that doesn't sound very profound, but when you've never considered something like that and it flows through you like a wave and you don't just 
think it. You don't just articulate it verbally. You know it in the depth of your being. And so now I'm saying, I'm explaining this as though I were having a conversation with myself in my head. It wasn't like that at all. It was much more like a download. It just, um, the understanding of this, it just filled me and I knew it and I understood it. That's the best way I can explain that. Maybe an hour or so later, I was still chewing on all that. And this is all while in the context of kind of this fellowship between this other guy and, and, and some other friends that were present as well. So not only was I having this internal conversation, if you will, but we were also still steadily conversing and sharing our experiences, you know, verbally amongst, our, amongst the group. Well, some, I wouldn't call them friends. They were people who were kind of on the periphery of our friend group. They showed up. And this is probably mid to late afternoon. And they're already half into a bottle of tequila. So these are like, you know, 18, 17, 18 year old guys. And they're, they're well on their way to being you know, plastered and seeing them in a state under the effects of alcohol, their behaviors and their words seem so childish and so cartoonish. I couldn't, my friend and I, who, who cooked up the tea together, we, we just stood back kind of in awe of them, just going, look how drunk they are. And we couldn't help but laugh at them. We just kept laughed at them because of their <laughs> silliness. And uh, I, I remember saying something to the effect of, they don't even take the world seriously. Look at them. It was almost like watching uh, kittens uh, wrestle around in a box. It was, it was, but then I had the, the realization that that's exactly what I look like when I'm, you know, tromping around at a keg party like like a like a hooligan and a loser you know so that was a that was a helpful introspection there i realized how goofy drunk people look and act um so we hung around and were amused by their antics for a, a number an hour or two and then um you know, the crowd cleared out. It was a very small crowd, but the crowd cleared out and um, myself and the others who were part of the experience remained around as things began to kind of, I guess what you might say, you know, as our default, you know, state of consciousness began to kind of recollect and coalesce. And we were left with this very satisfying experience of, I don't know, you might call it an afterglow or something, just a very pleasant um, state of mind, uh, reflecting on what we had just experienced that afternoon, trying to make sense of it. And I don't think that those 
those downloads you know that I received had really begun to integrate. It was all just a little too much to take take in at one time. And so little did I know I would be chewing on that experience, you know, uh, until this day. So it's 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 kind of potent emotionally to to share this story because I don't believe I've ever, you know, spoken about that in such detail. So it kind of allows me to to revisit that moment in my life, you know, kind of like when you're flipping through the photo album and I don't know if any, if y'all have children, but you see, you know, pictures of your of your children when they're when they're newborns or toddlers and and for a brief second you can be in that moment and uh, you can feel those feelings again. And so I'm experiencing a little bit of that right now. It's kind of interesting. So thanks, thanks for, for sharing that. Yeah, thank well, you thank for sharing you. that. Thanks for prodding me into into doing it. <laughs> I mean, that was that was just really well articulated. <laughs> you know, coming out of so my mouth, it sounds so dumb. No, no, not at all. It sound it's so hard to describe those types of experiences, and I'm so thankful you did. That that's, I think you gave a really good explanation of what it's like to have an experience like that. So, yeah, thank you. Do you mind um, sharing the specifics on on those things that you identified were holding you back? Could you clarify a little bit? When you said that you realized some things about your personality, maybe like why you were such a, a, a wallflower, I guess, and introverted and shy, and you identified that those personality characteristics were hurting you and not helpful, no longer useful. What 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 exactly uh, specifically did you did you identify, mm-hmm. or was it just that you were shy and introverted, or, or was something more than that? Yeah, great question. It was there, I couldn't I couldn't find a reason for it. You know, I've, I'm very fortunate to not to have to have grown up in a situation where I was never abused. It was not trauma in my life that I think I was um, reacting to. I think I was just naturally painfully shy. Um, You know, the idea of asking, you know, the girl next to me in, in math class, if I could borrow a piece of notebook paper was paralyzing, you know, uh, Uh, being called on to read a passage in the science book or, or answer a question or come to the chalkboard. All those things were just petrifying. Um, And I don't know why, but I'd always been that way as long as I could remember as a child. And I, I was also, I also had a very negative outlook on life. I just kind of, from the time I was maybe 10 years old, I'd, I'd kind of, I guess the best way to explain, I kind of lost my patience with government school. (laughs) Um, I just felt like most of what I was being taught was irrelevant or we were spending way too much time on useless information, regurgitating uh, multiplication facts, all that stuff seemed totally irrelevant to me. 
And so I felt kind of imprisoned. Like when I, I was like, okay, this is what the next, you know, eight years of my life looks like. I'm going to be imprisoned in this institution, having to regurgitate useless facts. <clears throat> so I became extremely disillusioned with, with education at a very young age. And that was another thing that plagued my parents because they couldn't motivate me to do anything other than get by the skin of my teeth and, you know, academically. <clears throat> and, and so I don't know how I began to integrate those lessons I learned in the psychedelic experience. I just, I just felt confident to speak to people after that. I felt the confidence, you know, to ask a girl out on a date. You know, I felt the confidence to, um, you know, if I didn't understand something, you know, in math class, I felt the confidence to go up to the teacher afterwards and say, hey, I don't, I don't understand. Could you please, you know, help me out here? <clears throat> so being able to confidently engage with life instead of just living my whole you know, my whole paradigm before that was I'm just, I'm a victim. I'm trapped in this cage. I got to do what my parents say. I got to do what my teacher says. I've got to do all this homework. Um, and it turned all that on its head. And it, it helped me realize that my life is largely dependent on the actions I take moving in the direction that I want it to go. So I no longer felt like I was at the mercy of everyone else's decisions. And so it gave me a much more positive outlook on life in general, because I realized that not in a woo woo, you know, way, but just in a real way, I could manifest the things I wanted through diligence, hard work, prayer, you know, applying myself, it gave me a sense of freedom that I had yet at that point to imagine possible. I don't know if I answered your question, but. <laughs> I don't know if you guys feel the same, but I, I feel like that's a very uh, adult thought for a 10 year old. You said you were oh, 10, no. right? No, no, that, no. I was 10 when I began to become disillusioned with the education system and embraced a negative outlook. I didn't have that understanding until I was 16 or 17 after my psychedelic experience. So, so no, all through my early teenage years, I was mm. just a broody, grouchy <laughs> punk. Through that time, would you have considered yourself, were, were you still considering yourself a Christian at that point, like through all that early teenage years and everything? Yes. I, I never doubted my faith. I knew other people did <laughs> because, uh, you know, why would a Christian kid always make bad grades? Why would a Christian kid hang out with the bad kids. Well, you know, why would a Christian kid drink cheap booze and dance around bonfires and, you know, such. But, and, and maybe, maybe they were right. Maybe I was, 
um, deceiving myself. But I always felt like Jesus was in my corner. I always felt like, um, you know, I couldn't necessarily ethically justify all my actions, for sure. Um, but I always felt like I could turn to God and he would be there for me. I, th- I believe, I don't believe most of my friends felt that way. I think the pressure to either conform to their churches and parents and society's wishes or embrace the newly discovered indulgences that they had found and, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was just, um, I think they felt like they were forced to make a choice. And so they just turned their back on faith because they, I think they probably felt ill-equipped to the task of conforming to those expectations. And so they just said, if you can't beat them, join them. But so I while always, you were while you were living that, let's call it secular lifestyle or making those those choices, you didn't feel conflicted at all. Oh, for sure, I felt conflicted. But you know, it's difficult to to really understand exactly what I was thinking. But I remember I, I, maybe this analogy, this little story will help explain. I was sitting in a gravel pit with one of my chums one night and uh, we were passing a bottle of something back and forth and uh, probably some cheap whiskey. And we were probably 18 years old. And he said, man, we're going to hell. I said, what are you talking about? He said, both of us. He said, we're going to hell. I said, why? He said, look at us, man. He's like, we're just sitting here. We're getting drunk. He's like, we don't, you know, we don't do what our parents want us to do. He's like, we're, he's like, I'm going to hell. And so are you. And that was a, it was like, it was a heavy weight. I had to, I had to sit with that, you know, a while. And again, I'm not, you know, everyone's welcome to their interpretation of someone else's lifestyle. But I just told him, I said, man, I said, we have our forgiveness in Christ. And it's not, we're, I said, we're in his hands. I said, I don't believe that we're going to hell because we're drinking some whiskey. And I don't think, again, maybe he was right, maybe I was wrong, I, but that that burden never left him. And I don't know where that man is today, but the next five or 10 years of his life were one tragedy after another, all self-imposed. And whereas mine was the opposite. I just kept moving in healthier, more positive directions. My faith grew and grew. I, I slowly put behind the substance abuse and the negative behaviors. 
and leaned into my faith. So I don't know. I just felt secure in Christ's love. I felt that the more I followed him, the better off I would be. And I just took the slow road in that direction. So how did you, or maybe just clarify that a little bit further, but if you had at the time, it sounds like you had that conflict where some of the things you were, you were doing, whether it was, you know, the alcohol or the, the psychedelics or anything else really was at conflict with your faith, but you still felt strong and, and let's say secure in your faith, right? How, how does that, how is that now? As far as like, is there still that conflict or, I mean, just the fact that, you know, it's the psychedelic Christian, it seems like there's a synthesis there. It's not, it's not two things that are opposite each other anymore. Um, Maybe talk a little bit about that as far as how, how that came about or if I'm, if I'm understanding that correctly now. Yeah. Um, Hmm. That's a great question. Just, I'm collecting my thoughts. Give me a moment to. Uh, chew on that. If you have asked me, hmm, let me go at it from this angle. It sounds, and you can clarify, it sounds like you're asking, is substance use compatible with the Christian life? Is that an acceptable paraphrase of what you asked? Sure. Or yeah, from your experience, how, how have you sort of combined them? Hmm. Well, after I had those, and there were you know numerous other uh, psychedelic mushroom experiences following that one, all positive for me, I began to, in a healthy way, withdraw from some of my negative influences, people who I perceived to have a negative influence in my life. And like the day I graduated high school, I started dating my now wife of 22 years. And so that was a very positive intervention in my life. It helped me um, further, you know, distance myself from negative relationships. And I got a job, started working so that that further uh, was a positive influence in my life, learning to manage money and, and, and try to give what little I had, try to, you know, give to people in need and charities and my church and things like that. I still remained in a church community. You know, I went to church regularly. And although I had disagreements with the way the organization presented a certain approach to Christian life that I thought was more of a, uh, a leave it to beaver lifestyle than it was following Jesus Christ. Like that was the yardstick by which you were measured by. It's like, if you, you know, tug your shirt in and pay your taxes and, you know, drive the speed limit, that makes you a good Christian. I didn't feel like that was a healthy way of viewing faith, but but I still remain tied to the church. So I slowly distanced myself from 
from from drug use and alcohol abuse and i got very comfortable working building a life for myself and going in kind of the you know picket fence lifestyle you know i was trying to i was trying to make my way in the world and so i you know i needed to be sure i could pass a drug test at any moment so that kind of you know caused me to distance myself from anything that would that would you know show up on a on a drug test and so that kind of further you know moved me into a away away from those um away from drug use and away from people who used it because you know if you're if you're trying to avoid something you know it's it's always a good idea if you're a reformed alcoholic you don't want to go hang out in bars you know so so that was kind of my thought on that <clears throat> but i never so i embraced the normal american christian lifestyle but i never in my own mind, I never, I could never view things like cannabis or psychedelics as somehow evil or wrong, no more than I could alcohol. You know, it's obvious if someone, if alcohol is a, is a prominent part of someone's degenerate lifestyle, um, it's very easy to demonize that. But I'm sure we all know people who go to the restaurant, go to the country club, have a glass of champagne, go home, watch a movie, go to sleep. It's hard to criticize that for me. I can't I can't criticize someone doing that. So because my experiences with those substances was I felt a net positive, I could never view those things as inherently non-Christian. So I just kind of shelved them. I didn't know what to do with it. You know, everybody else I knew in my normal workaday Christian life, you know, viewed those things with disdain. And so it wasn't something you could bring up at a dinner party and have a healthy conversation about. You know, it wasn't something you could meet with your pastor after church and say, hey, have, have you ever done mushrooms? You know, it's like, that's not going to go over well, you know. Um you're going to basically lose all respect that person has for you, you know, just bringing up a topic like that. So roundabout way um, of getting to the way I was going to address your question. And, and my, my thoughts on this are continually, you know, updating, you know, as I learn more and more, I don't view any substance, be it natural or pharmaceutical, somehow inherently opposed to or off limits to Christian people. So we all know people who abuse prescription drugs. I mean, we've got an epidemic of, you know, opioid abuse in our society right now. It's killing people. But I, I certainly wouldn't want to remove those drugs from our society because they have a very valid application in a lot of people's lives. A lot of people have chronic unbearable pain and it appears at the moment 
that's the only feasible method for them to find relief. So I've come to the conclusion that probably with thoughtfulness and wisdom, any substance could be used in a positive way to benefit humans li- human lives. That's very challenging, though. It's very easy for us to say, don't drink alcohol, period. End of story. Don't smoke weed. It's evil. End of story. Like you can, you can, that's something you can anchor to. You can be like, you can check the box. Okay, I didn't smoke weed today. That makes me a good person. I only took two painkillers. I didn't take four. So that makes me a good person. That makes me, you know, I'm cool with Jesus, you know, because I did everything according to whatever. The spiritual life is one that's actively engaged in weighing all the difficult, challenging circumstances that we face in life. And Christians are going to have to come to grips at some point with how these substances may or may not be used with wisdom and understanding. Because if, if y'all have paid any attention lately, the speed at which these things are being adopted politically is rapid. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but my goal with my podcast is just to get Christians to talk about it. You know, we're, we're not all going to agree. And I certainly don't think, you know, any substance, psychedelics particularly, are something that everyone should do. No more than I think everyone should use uh, opioids or benzos or, or anxiety drugs or antidepressants. I mean... Those things have application for some people, and it's a challenge, and it requires patience and wisdom and a lot of soul-searching to come to a balanced understanding of where these things have application in the Christian life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it makes a lot of sense to me. It it, it almost feels like you're just a few years ahead of your time, you know, because it's amazing how I'm not deeply involved in any type of aspect of the Christian community right now, but just from the outside looking in, it seems to me like ideas are evolving. Like the ideas evolve, you know, in the nineties, it seemed like you couldn't even mention being gay or, um, like smoking weed. And now I can have a conversation with my parents about smoking weed or just about any Christian. And it, you know, it, 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 to me, it evolves with society, you know, as weeds become legal in so many States and, and whatnot, ideas change. It's, it seems very fluid, at least in most circles. And I imagine the same thing's going to happen with psychedelics, like as they become more mainstream people, promote the benefits of them. 
it won't be as taboo and there won't be, I think that stigma will decrease. Marshall and David, I, I, I want to know where you're at with this. <laughs> are, are you, are you all, what, let me, let me say, why, why, why haven't you all tried psychedelics? Like specifically yeah. mushrooms? Any, yeah. Is um, there a reason you haven't yeah. tried or don't want to try? Personally, well, because I've I've had I've had weed before, right? And I know that may not be considered a psychedelic, but I am a very like logical and like I I'm not able to kind of let go or get outside of my head. So whenever I had maybe a little bit too much weed, I would become extremely paranoid. And so I just, from hearing about other people's experiences with with shrooms or, or something like that, people that have that kind of mindset will typically have a very bad trip. And uh, yeah, I'm just worried about that personally. <laughs> I don't want to have a horrible trip. So, I mean, I'm not, not against it, but um, yeah. That's my personal fear. Yeah, I'd say uh, just fear in general is a good word for me. I I don't, um, a, as the conversation has become more open or prevalent from a, I don't know if like, I don't know what the word is, like open or not as a like back alley, here's some, you know, that kind of a conversation as it becomes more common for people to talk about it in a, like a, I don't know if positive light is the right word because I think there have been people who've been talking about it in a positive light for a while. But anyway, for me more recently, um, it's been something that I've considered more, but I just don't have enough information about it. I'm, I'm one of those people who like wants to know everything about something before I get into stuff. And so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, aside from the whole like, you know, legality and, and, and even, um, frankly, the health side of it, I think from a, like a Christian perspective, I've always been weary of anything that's, um, like anything that's like mind altering, which could be, you know, caffeine or sugar or, you know, whatever. But it's, it, 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 it does make me think about it because there's plenty of things that I do try to do that obviously change my mind like eating food you know makes me feel better than if i don't eat food or you know or or even not eating food intermittent fasting or something like that and not eating for the first half of the day or something like that clearly changes my mind so there's definitely levels to it and that's where i start to think about it i'm like well am i really being consistent with this um do i still have a lot of those early beliefs of everything being lumped into one big category and not really knowing how to parse it out and separate it. Um, so I don't know if that really answers the question, but that's kind of some of my thoughts on it. Yeah, the conversation has become very academic. You know, we went from like hippy dippy to yeah. university level, like in no time, Johns Hopkins. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of what, what motivated me to do this. I was like, this is not, a topic that's going to remain underground. We're going to have to talk about this. And 
the either the beauty or the tragedy of it is we're not going to actually come to a conclusion. We're just going to continue to talk about it because this is not going to be the you know whether these things are good, bad, in between. That that argument's not going to be made one way or the other in our lifetimes. Um, you know, the prohibition of alcohol ended in the United States almost a hundred years ago. And I, I, I still meet people regularly who have, you know, part of their, the foundation of their faith walk is an anti-alcohol platform, you know, mm-hmm. so, and there are various reasons for that, you know, so even if these things become commonplace in culture, there's still going to be people who disagree with them being used. And that's fine. That's, you know, that's great. I want, I want people to, to have conversations and I want people to live by, um, you know, their own code of ethics. You know, I would, I would never, I'm not even encouraging people to use psychedelics. That's one thing that, that I don't want to say it upsets me. It, I'm a little suspect of some of my acquaintances in the Christian community who have embraced psychedelics. Um, I'm a little concerned about how excited they are to convince people of, I wouldn't say the necessity of accessing these things, but, but at least an encouragement to do so. And I understand why, you know, if they had positive experiences like I had, you want to share that information, right? Like you go to a new restaurant in town and it just knocks your socks off, man. The food is off the chain. Like you're going to tell everybody at work the next day. And if suddenly you, on a Saturday night, you have a mind manifesting, you know, powerful download from the cosmos. I mean, you're going to tell people about that. And so I understand why they're motivated to, you know, share the good news, quote unquote. But I, I, I don't know that I would ever recommend, you know, someone do it unless I felt certain that their particular condition, that it would help alleviate some of their burden or help them, you know, move in the right direction. But that would definitely be down to a very individual, you know, circumstance if I was to advise someone to do that. But I definitely hope that in the near future, these things will be an option that's available to people uh, because I've seen so many people helped with psychedelic therapy. If you've ever, you know, spent a little time on the internet digging around, you'll find a number of groups out there using psychedelics to help military people who have trauma from war uh, integrate their experiences and relieve depression and suicide ideation. Uh, psilocybin has great results in helping people stop smoking cigarettes, 
there's there's a multitude of positive applications and I don't think we should prevent people from accessing those things because of the unfortunate circumstances that some people will have because of abuse. Um, there's almost, it's difficult to reduce abusive behavior. People abuse substances for a multitude of reasons, but I've come to the conclusion, at least at the moment, that we shouldn't deny everyone the opportunity to access a certain medicine because of a small number of abusers who are negatively impacted by it. How, how is psychedelic use, would you say it's deepened your faith? How has, how does it align with your, your spiritual development as a, you, you still identify as a Christian? How, yeah, I'm, I'm an active how, Christian. Yeah. And just to tag onto that, have you had those dinner party conversations with people in your community? Like, are you open about your, your, your use of psychedelics now or in the past? And what do those conversations look like if you've had them? Yeah. Great question. Um, I do not speak openly in my local community. I have, maybe a half dozen uh, close friends that I've known, you know, close Christian friends who I've known for well over 20 years. And I've shared some of my experience that I shared with y'all today and some other experiences with them. And it was right before I launched the podcast, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anybody would even listen to the podcast or, you know, so I had to bounce the idea off somebody, you know, just see what their reaction would be. And I knew these people, they trusted me. They knew I wasn't going off the rails or, or starting a new religion or anything. You know, I've, I've broken bread with these people. <laughs> we raised our children together. I mean, these are they're people I'm tight with and they, were a little surprised, intrigued, um, kind of fearful, um, and mostly just like, yeah, that's that's out there, man. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I just left it at that. You know, we've look, we've gone on with our lives. We're still great friends. They never bring it up. Um, they know I have the podcast. Um, that's just not on their radar. You know, they, they're doing their thing. They're working, raising kids, uh, going on vacations, living, living their normal life, you know, just like I'm doing. And, uh, you know, it's just, just not something that, that has broad appeal to them, I guess. I do think it's interesting because the people that I have talked to the most about psychedelics specifically in a Christian context have been open about it because they were open about it because it was part of like their testimony. Like they, you know, the, the classic thing of I used to be this 
and then insert a bunch of stuff that happened and some of it was psychedelics and some of it was crazy stuff that they nobody recommends doing and then it's like and then i had this you know whether it was a moment or something that happened and they really their life changed their life turned around and in a lot of cases those are the people that are the most outspokenly against whatever the thing is whether it's alcohol or really every you know a, a bunch of things like they're just totally sober and it kind of goes back to what you said before where when somebody's addicted to something and it's really a like a stronghold in their life like it you know it, it's a different thing than somebody who is sort of casually um using things and it's not you know like affecting their day-to-day -day life or, or whatever um but anyway the, the conversations that i've had with especially with christians and you know in the church has has been from those people and um i i would guess that there's people that have experiences that weren't like that but like you maybe it was awkward or it's not it doesn't seem like the right place you know like going and talking to your pastor or whoever about it it doesn't seem like you know if they didn't have that as part of their sort of testimony story or something like that then it's harder for them to sort of come out if you know for lack of a better word about their past or, or the things that they've tried or experimented with or are currently trying or experimenting with. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, it Bryce, sucks. you asked like, the question. Uh, it sucks that that's the story that most people share, you know, like it, it all, they get lumped in together with, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. The, and Clint, I, I respect what you said about um, all substances used responsibly in the right situation or that's okay. But I don't know, man. To me, it's like they're completely different things, you know? Like comparing cigarettes and psychedelics or alcohol and psych it, like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me because they're just completely different experiences. Or, or like, you know, my friends that I've talked to, like they're, they're stealing something and also doing psychedelics and so it gets lumped into this past life of all of this exactly. was bad instead of being like, well, okay, there was stealing. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Let's talk about psychedelics. Let's talk about smoking cigarettes. Let's talk about, you know, all the, whatever other things are involved. Yeah. And that's why in my experience, it was like, <clears throat> I didn't have that experience that you had, Clint, where you walked away from it with this really mature perspective. Oh, this was very useful for me. After the first time I, I dropped acid, I was like, it was a really powerful experience, but I walked away from it thinking like, oh, I've sinned or like I've done something bad. And this is going into my my list of, of sins that I've accumulated and God will never love me again or something. Mm. You know, it, it wasn't, it was like what Marshall's saying, like this is going to be in my future testimony, you know, but it's like, I, I, I don't get why they're lumped together because if people under I think if people understood like you if you've had an experience with psychedelics you don't get addicted to them you know the last time I did a, a high dose of, of mushrooms I don't want to touch that for a very long time you know I had that deep experience and I got the message 
you know, I got the message. <laughs> I can hang up the phone now. Um, I, it just doesn't seem like an addictive substance. I, I can't imagine anyone could get addicted to psychedelics. And that's why, to me, it sucks that they get lumped together with more addictive substances. Yeah, and people... And sometimes you have to, you know, compartmentalize things so you can choose a more wholesome path. So if a person is a thief, you know, a philanderer, a drug addicted criminal, and they come to Jesus, like they've got to get away from all that. You know, they, they've got to embrace a new healthy path. And so it's natural for them to lump all those things together. And it's, it's very difficult to go into your past and parse out every circumstance, every substance, every conversation, every relationship, and individually weigh out the good and bad and also parse out how those things synchronized in a positive or negative way. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're already in an abusive relationship and you're in a very um, difficult, you know, low income situation, uh, poor nutrition, you know, throwing psychedelics on top of that might not help. You know, it might, it might be the straw that breaks, you know, the back of your sanity. Or, um, Bryce, you asked earlier if psychedelics deepened my faith. I can only speak personally. You know, I know people who were, as, as young people, I don't know anyone like that as an adult, really. But as young people, they were, you know, the goody two shoes, go to church, you know, on the baseball team, whatever. They had a psychedelic experience and they took all that and just threw it in the trash and went off the deep end. They said, God's a lie. My parents are liars. You know, sports is, you know, a stupid waste of money. And then they just, you know, you know, they just, you know, it was just downhill from there. You know, so I know people who've done that. And so I can't, I can't in good conscience recommend that in any way that psychedelic experience is going to heal you or destroy you. All I can say is that it was a positive influence in my life and it definitely deepened my faith because in those experiences, whether they were indeed close interactions with God or whether they were just hallucinogenic figments of my imagination. I felt a deep knowing with God that I had never experienced in Sunday school or youth group. Okay. This was like, that was like for me, and this is not everyone's experience for me personally, going to church, going to youth group, going to Sunday school, all that was like reading a book about snow skiing. 
And then the psychedelic experience was like jumping off the lift and going down that heroic, you know, ski slope. And I could read about skiing and learn about it, but I've, I felt the wind in my face. I felt the snow burning my eyes, you know, the, my digits cold and, and aching, but the exhilaration of, you know, the intense, you know, rushing down the hillside. So that was like, it just made me, it just, it made me feel like I knew God one way on one side of the coin and I flipped the coin over and I got a whole new experience of God. And it what it didn't it didn't challenge everything I knew about God pre- previous to that. It didn't conflict, you know. Nothing in my experience made me doubt, you know, what I believed in my Christian upbringing. It just gave me it, it gave me a more mature um, understanding of it, I think, and it definitely made me. I definitely had a desire to study on my own. Before that, it was like, get up, you're going to church, but you know, put your shoes on, tuck your shirt in, let's go. After that, I wanted to hear the sermon. I wasn't just staring at my watch, like, when is this boring, you know, mont you know, gonna you know, gonna be over this monologue. Let me out of here. I was like, I was eager to hear the sermon. I was, I was, you know, digging through my Bible. Like, I don't remember that, you know, I'm reading the book of Job, you know, cause I'm fascinated with, you know, dragons and, you know, whatever. I mean, just, I started, I would, <laughs> one thing I would do, it's kind of silly, but it, it's, it's one way in, in, in way I can explain how, you know, I really was searching for God. I would, uh, I would get off, one of my first jobs, I worked nights and I would, I would get off work and, uh, I would, you know, smoke some pot and I would go lay down and I would turn, my dad had this collection of Charlton Heston reads the Bible on cassette tapes, you know? So I would dig out those cassette tapes and I would put the Bible in usually old Testament. I was usually listening to Job or Habakkuk or Leviticus, you know, whatever. I would just, I would put one of those in. I would just lay there and listen to that till I fell asleep, you know? And I was, I was thirsty for knowledge of God. And before that, I didn't have it. I don't know if that was just me maturing, but the psychedelic experience was definitely a light bulb moment, at least in part a catalyst for me wanting to dig deeper. But I can't say that would be the case for everyone. Yeah, it's a it's a an interesting balance because you know, shout out to John Adams, who we had on the show a couple episodes ago. He was one of the ones who had mentioned uh, having someone on who would talk about psychedelics and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on, on his side, he's he's a uh, he's into Christian mysticism. And, you know, you can imagine a lot of different denominations and, and so forth of Christianity. There's like a spectrum of on one side, you have a very experiential version of Christianity. And then on the other side, you have a very, you know, like by the book sort of, um, 
I don't mean to be disparaging anyway, but just it's like a drier version of Christianity. It's not it's not as emotional. It's not as, you know, um, wh- what would you say to somebody who's more on the 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 drier, not as experiential side of it, um, who, you know, maybe doesn't doesn't drink, doesn't, you know, wants it to wants their relationship with God to be more about like this sort of an intellectual pursuit and not be, you know, swayed by their emotions and that kind of thing. What what would you say to, to somebody more on that side of the, you know, practice and theology of things? Yeah. Great question. That's, uh, that's where I come from. So, you know, I was raised Baptist and once I left that, I was, I was really craving this cerebral, academic, you know, knowledge of God. So I, I bounced around different churches for a while, just trying to find something that fit and, um, landed in a very conservative, uh, Calvinistic Presbyterian church. And I was there for 16 years. All my children were baptized there. I was a deacon there for a few years, five, five, four or five years. Um, deeply invested in that church and in that kind of experience, a very, um, you know, we're the frozen chosen, you know, (laughs) we don't, we don't dance. We don't raise hands. We don't, right. You know, uh, you know, the spirit is there, you know, frozen chosen, you know, when, you know, the spirit will come quietly and sit on your shoulder and whisper things. The spirit definitely doesn't, you know, you know, move you to do anything exciting. Um, and, you know, after that church dissolved for a number of reasons, uh, we, uh, we started going to an Episcopal church, which is not radically different. You know, it's a very, uh, it's a very traditional grounded, you know, ceremonial atmosphere. Um, but in, in some ways also mystical. So, so yeah, I'm grounded in that kind of cerebral, you know, uh, do gooder, good citizen kind of, kind of thought process. Um, which the more, <laughs> the more I talk about this with y'all, the more I realize I might be crazy because I'm able to hold these two conflicting things in my head. I don't know. Maybe that's not normal. You know, I can be that, cerebral, earnest Christian, and also hold these ideas about psychedelic experience that at least to me doesn't seem to be conflicting. But anyway, to answer your question, when I speak to people like that, I, first of all, I don't evangelize. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince them that they need to approve of psychedelics. They don't have to. What I do try to get them to do is to learn and investigate and then come to an informed conclusion because I feel like most of us have arrived at our conclusions about all drugs and psychedelics from a very misinformed perspective. You know, we've just, we're just regurgitating the ideas that were forced down our throats 
as children, and we've never really weighed it with wisdom and thoughtfulness. And there, and there's a good reason for that because we've only seen negative experiences in association with substances. Have you ever watched the news and they said, you know, young man finds Christ after smoking a doobie, you know, never. All you see is people in handcuffs, you know, um, children running around with no shoes on. Just, I mean, it's like, it's like the worst, you know, representation of, of, of substances. And I'm not saying those things don't exist. They do, but we've, we've been presented all of our lives, one side of the coin, and we've never been exposed to any other information. And so we've drawn our conclusions based on, at best, half the story. So I encourage people just to see what's happening in the veteran community. You know, how many people are being helped with their trauma? You know, how many people are using things like psilocybin, ketamine, even LSD, and especially MDMA? which is moving to phase three trials for PTSD and will probably be available in the next year or two. Um, When a person has been plagued for their life with the unrelenting pressure of traumatic events in their past that they can't escape from, and they're able to go to a well-contained, safe, healthy clinical environment where they're able to use talk therapy and a substance to get them into a place where they can separate themselves emotionally from that trauma and begin to integrate those traumatic events as part of their story but not something that necessarily just, you know, defines them. There's a difference in acknowledging trauma that happened in your past and being defined by trauma. You know, we probably all know someone who's been divorced and now they are say five years later, they're back on their feet. They're emotionally stable. They're more mature. You know, that was a traumatic event, a divorce. It's, it usually leads people with a lot of painful emotions. And then you've met someone who 10 years later, they're still just living, seething in that pain and anger and frustration, and they can't escape it. That's something that psychedelics might be able to help that person with. So I think hearing real human stories and seeing positive results, it counterbalances all the negative information, which is not false. I didn't say false information. There is some false information that we've received over the years through government and mostly well-intentioned people who don't know better regurgitating this information. 
a lot of it's false, but most of it's just showing us the negative reality of what substance abuse causes. But to see the other side of that, where someone was given a new lease on life and a new lease on their spiritual life, because something allowed them to step out of that trauma, that pain, detach, although temporarily, from their ego and the intensity of those emotions, to have the time and wherewithal to come to a balanced understanding about their life and their circumstances and move forward in a positive direction. As a Christian, that's something I want people to experience or at minimum have access to. I don't want to deny people the opportunity to try something like that, that may have such a positive benefit. Yeah, that's a great point about just having access and raising awareness that something like that is available. If you're really stuck in something, if you if you find yourself unable to overcome something, having resources like psychedelics that that is valuable. I think the best um, example, what someone explained, I wish I could give them credit for it. I don't remember who's, who told me. They said that sometimes living your life is like driving on a snow-covered highway. And, you know, you have this path that you're following, but the snow just heaps up on the sides of the highway and covers up all the off-ramps. And we get that way in our lives, oftentimes emotionally and mentally. And we're just on this single path that we can't get off of. And he said, all psychedelics don't fix you. They don't magically change things. All they do is clear a path for an off-ramp. So you can get out of that momentary, defined, structured path and you can get up on the bridge and you can look at your life from a high perspective and you can reevaluate the choices you've made in the past and the direction you'd like to go in the future. And without that off-ramp, we we never able to have that perspective. We're never able to gain a holistic perspective of our lives because we're constantly in the fight. Exactly. Like that's what that's been my experience. It's like just allowing myself, my ego, to like step to 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 step outside of my to my ego and observe myself, become aware of this character that I'm playing. It allows you to be kind of yeah, like not take yourself so. It's it's allowed me not to take myself so seriously and to like like you experienced just observe things that are not useful anymore like if you're painfully shy like observe that and ask yourself is this really serving me is this useful for for a christian or anyone who is afraid to be open about their their use of plant medicine psychedelics and they're suppressing that part of them how do you recommend coming out of that because at the heart of our podcast, we try to be vulnerable and honest and open. And we've kind of 
decided that honesty doesn't mean not telling lies. It means sharing what is on your heart and being open about your experience, your entire experience, and not holding back for fear of being judged or fear of uh, severing a relationship or somebody not liking you anymore because of certain choices that you make. I know personally I've hidden things from people, my parents, certain friends, family members, such as drug use for fear of retribution or fear of um, people abandoning me. I'm, I'm sure there's people listening to this. I'm sure there's people who are experiencing that. What would you say to those people? If you find someone to answer that question, please send them to me. <laughs> I'm living that right now. So, you know, I've, I'm, a, uh, you know, my engagement in this topic, you know, I'm a little bit coy in the way I do it um, because I feel like it's necessary for me to be vulnerable slowly over time. I would never lie to someone. If someone asked me, you know, have you used psychedelics? You know, I would, I would talk to them about it, you know, no matter who they are, but I'm not going to just, you know, walk up to my, you know, aunt at Thanksgiving and say, Hey, let's talk about psychedelics. You know, um, you have to anticipate where a person's coming from and people can become overwhelmed. And they're, they're kind of like default mode network will, will immediately set off the alarm. You know, like you said, you were fearful of, of sharing your substance use with others. And that's justifiable because they may immediately lose all trust in you. Like you can be living the model Christian life and tell someone, yeah, you know, I smoke pot. Like you can in, you can completely dissolve any trust they have in you forever. Um, that's kind of scary, you know. We 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 spend our lives building a reputation where people trust us, they count on us, um, and if if you insert doubt into that, you know it can it can destroy your 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 reputation. So I believe it's important, at least this is my current understanding where I'm coming from. You know, I work in a very traditional industrial setting. You know, I work in a place where we make widgets. It's loud, it stinks, it's hot, it's cold. There's heavy equipment everywhere. It's very dangerous. You know, I could get hurt any day. And so I don't use substances like cannabis because if my hand gets crushed, the first thing they do is ask for a drug test. And I'm not going to lose my job and my ability to provide for my family's needs because I enjoy a substance, you know. So and, you know, I'm I'm very invested in my church. I'm rooted there. You know, they're a pretty open-minded community to be in the Bible Belt. 
Um, you know, and I, I, after I'd released a few episodes of the podcast, I shared it with my priest. I told him, you should probably know I'm doing this. If you ever want to talk about it, let me know. He never said a word. So that was like, a, you know, quite a while back. And did that feel like a weight lifted off your shoulders? Um, a little bit. You know, I knew that I didn't, I knew that he wouldn't react, um, harshly or negatively. He's a, he's a thoughtful, um, person and he, he had known me really well for a year before that. So, you know, he, and he knew that I had a good reputation and we've had, you know, we've, we've had meals together. We drank beer together. You know, we've, he, he's, he's known me, you know, and so sharing that it didn't immediately cause him to doubt my credibility. I'm sure he's heard much worse from people than I have a podcast about psychedelics. So he never said anything. And then I've been encouraged by many people for years uh, to become a member of the governing body of our church, which is the vestry. It's a local uh, governing body of the congregation. And uh, he was encouraging me to put my name in the hat. And I said, that's great. I would love to serve. I said, however, I sent this to you a couple months ago and you didn't respond. I just didn't know if you didn't listen or what. He said, well, I just never got around to it. You know, I'm so busy. I said, well, if you want me to stand for consideration to the vestry, I ask you to please listen to a couple episodes first and then tell me whether you think it's still a good idea or whatever. And uh, a couple days later, he said, uh, he said, I don't have a problem with what you're doing. So that gave me some comfort. Um, but, you know, my wife is employed in a Christian atmosphere. So I have to take that, you know, kind of like the tangential, you know, cascade of, of reputation into into understanding when I, you know, when I speak about these things. So, so I, um, I don't know, I guess I would encourage, you know, everyone has to choose their own path and I would encourage Christians to be open to the conversation with others, but be judicious and be kind and understanding in how you bring up the topic you know, it's a very challenging psychological process for many people to to come to grips with that. You know, I mentioned earlier about my kind of evolving thoughts on this topic. I, if you'd asked me a couple months ago what I thought about meth or cocaine or or something like that, I would have been like, "Yeah, that's really bad news. So you need to stay away from that stuff." You know, maybe. Maybe try some pot or something, you know, but I read a book that came out recently by Dr. Carl Hart called Drug Use for Grownups. And it really challenged even, you know, I, I shared with you how open minded I am about this kind of thing. That challenged me uh, because that case I made earlier about 
you know, and again, he's not coming from a Christian paradigm like I am. He's coming from just kind of like a legal, uh, ethical paradigm. And he makes the case that none of these things should be contraband. They just have to be incorporated into a responsible adult life. You know, that I, yeah, kind of I split. Hearing, I remember hearing an interview with him. I was like, wow, this is. It's pretty challenging. Like this is challenging, right? Sure. It's not just it's not just pot or whatever. He he goes pretty. Yeah, he's like <laughs> casually doing heroin on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's 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 hard to even for me. That's hard to imagine. Like you know, uh, what'd you do this weekend? It's like, well, me and my wife snorted a few lines, and went to the park, <laughs> and played frisbee. Like that, just uh, like what? But that's how that's how people feel when I say. When I was young, I had these mushroom experiences. They're like, whoa, yeah. dude, yeah. I thought you were like a deacon or something. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Everybody's yeah. at different places. Yeah. I had a drink last night. For some people, that's like blows their mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I I think, I think, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul admonishes us to consider the weaker brother, you know, if, if, it, don't don't do something that you feel the liberty to do in the presence of someone who doesn't believe that's acceptable because you're causing strife, you're rubbing their nose in it. Um, it produces unnecessary conflict and there's enough conflict in the world. I think we need patience, understanding, unity. That doesn't mean we can't disagree. But it certainly means we don't need to go out of our way to offend others. It's a good way to put it. My two cents. <laughs> it, any, any other questions, uh, comments? Oh, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for just being vocal about this this topic. It's, um, I, I hope people listen to this and are open-minded about it and explore it. What resources would you point people to who are um, fairly naive to this subject? Hmm. Well, they can, you know, shameless plug. They can listen to my podcast. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, shout I'm, that out. It's, it's the psychedelic pod, the psychedelic Christian podcast. Right. You know, is I there come, a preferred Avenue like an Apple or just anywhere? Not for me personally, whatever listening, you know, uh, app they use. Uh, I, Sweet. I've got a new, I got episode 10. I'm recording tomorrow uh, with someone. And so hopefully that'll be up in a week or so. Um, yeah, I'm on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple, and, you know, all the other podcatchers out there. You can, you know, just put the RSS feed in there or you can go straight to the website, the psychedelic Christian podcast.com. And Thanks. the episodes are. Yeah, I love the I love the episodes I listen to. You're doing good work, man. I, I love the I listened to the one with the the former comedian, mm, you, Joe. He yeah. was he was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so there's also a community that's forming, um, lagare.com or org. Lagare.org. It is an organization. They're largely working with clergy first to educate and 
hopefully in the near future, provide guided experiences for Christians who want to experience psychedelics in a safe Christian atmosphere. And that's, that's just getting off the ground. You know, there's a lot of, of a lot of legal, you know, uh, situations that have to be navigated over the next few years as they do that. But, um, yeah, my friend Hunt Priest, there's an interview with him on the podcast, episode number mm-hmm. five. He's He explains that. Um, they're doing good stuff. You can get on their mailing list. Just go to ligari.org, and occasionally they send out a newsletter. It'll have some articles about what's going on in the in the psychedelic community uh, in and how it concerns or includes Christians. And th- there's a lot of stuff out there that's, found in bits and pieces, you know, an article here, a blog post there. Um, We're slowly kind of coalescing all this together. And um, so just, I guess, just keeping, keep your eyes and ears open as, uh, as things come up. Great. We'll link all that in the show description. Yeah. And there's plenty of books and videos and podcasts who, that deal with the topic from a non- what you might call a secular, a secular, um, a secular perspective, not a Christian perspective. Um, Michael Pollan's book, uh, drawing a blank right now. Uh, the most recent one is your mind on plants. That one's good. And then, uh, the other one is how to change your mind. Yeah. That's, that's, those are both really good, but thanks for having me guys. Uh, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Look forward to, future conversations and I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying y'all shows. Uh, uh, the last couple episodes, the, uh, the compassionate atheist guy and, and John Adams, like that's, I've never heard of their work. And if you, if you know, y'all hadn't contacted me, I'd have probably never found those guys. And I really enjoyed y'all's conversation with them. I've been enjoying some of their content. This is how we, this is how we change the world by communicating being kind, compassionate, having conversations about our disagreements. Hmm. Right Great on. place to leave it. That's awesome. Great way to, yeah, perfect place to leave it. Well said. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, thank you again. Um, I kind of feel like if we had grown up near each other, we would have like gone to the same parties and like <laughs> we've had like very similar teenage years. So uh, it's just really cool to, to hear your story. And uh, you've been very, uh, very humble, humble enough to, you know, dig deep and express your psychedelic experiences that happened literally decades ago. Um, so, yeah, thank you again for sharing your uh, uplifting perspective on substances that, you know, a lot of Christians may uh, call the dark arts, as they say. So I hope everyone keeps listening and uh, keeps an open mind. Um, thanks again to the audience. Uh, wherever you're listening, please rate and review. We really appreciate it. And with that being said, we'll see you next time on Cucumber Talks, where all beliefs get to be heard. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Since I began work on developing my podcast almost two years ago now, activity and interest in the psychedelic sphere has significantly increased. 
Every day I'm surprised to see the launch or release of new conferences, scientific and medical studies, books, articles, documentaries, podcasts, guide and coach training courses, news media reports, university-level lectures and courses, political legislative action, social media groups and pages, all on the topic of psychedelics, and this phenomenon is worldwide. It is abundantly clear that we are on the cusp of significant change in societal beliefs and practices concerning psychedelics and almost all other substances that have long been recognized as illegal drugs. I believe that this change in social norms concerning substance use is not exactly new. I believe it has been slowly simmering under the surface for more than a generation, but it is just now seeing the light of day. The church at large, and most all Christians, have been content to avoid entertaining the topic and allow the medical and political apparatuses to dictate to us the appropriate stance on such issues. I believe that we are now witnessing the century-long failure of violent prohibition policies and must soon be forced to reckon with the use of these substances from a purely spiritual perspective. I sincerely hope that the work I'm doing here with this podcast can facilitate that process in a way that serves my fellow Christians and honors the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that we as Christians should attempt to reach an educated and balanced viewpoint concerning all substances that humans use, informed purely by scripture, wisdom, and Christian tradition, not the ever-changing whims of modern cultural and social mores. This is certainly a challenging proposition, because there is ultimately no definitive answer to derive from Scripture alone. Discerning a position to take on this topic requires education, conversation, and grace. Good, earnest, and well-meaning Christians will not all reach the same conclusions. We must bear with one another. We can glean much from Scripture to inform our position on substance use. Scripture has many examples of both the wise and negligent use of wine and the corresponding positive and negative results of said use. Scripture and Christian tradition both admonish us to avoid drunkenness and live sober lives, but also positively exemplify the use of wine both sacramentally and in merrymaking celebration. Scripture also makes reference to the use of a wide variety of herbs and medicines, both for holy, sacred, sacramental use and for the evil practice of sorcery and pharmacia. Scripture also alludes to the fact that good Christians will disagree on the use of alcohol in certain foods, and that we should seek to respect each other's positions, and those who choose to consume such things that others find offensive or sinful should show deference to those who choose not to, and avoid such practices when it might cause others to sin or stumble. My own current position on the use of substances is that under God's law, the use of any substance is not inherently sinful. However, that in no way implies that the use of any substance is necessarily wise, healthy, or cannot become sinful. As in the example of wine, it appears that there is a wise, healthy, and responsible practice of consuming and a practice that leads to folly and ruin, both physically and spiritually. Also, 
many substances humans use, even with conscientious moderation, can have significant negative habituating effects, causing some users to become quickly physically or mentally dependent on the substance. The Christian should exercise great caution in concerning the use of such substances. Many will rightly say, LSD is not the same as wine or aspirin or coffee or Prozac, to which I agree. But to say that these substances are different, have different purposes, and are consumed in different volumes, does not affirm or deny their use as either sinful or unsinful. I believe that determination relies upon the individual and their intentions. When someone's life is negatively impacted by a substance, it is easy to conclude that such practice is unwise or sinful, and such a person is in need of help, grace, and intervention, and possibly social discipline or legal action should their behavior injure or defraud others. However, it is often difficult to determine this when the person's use of a particular substance is not manifesting in obvious positive or negative ways. Ultimately, it is between the individual and God, and a tree will be known by its fruit. Such considerations have led me to the current position that a legally prohibitionary and punitive approach to substance use is untenable. It is becoming clear that all substances, particularly psychedelics, have some positive and practical applications. Both in the church and in broader society, we have sought to rein in sinful tendencies in people by focusing on their actions instead of their hearts. This has resulted in denying life-enhancing and life-saving substances to many people, turning responsible substance users into criminals, and instead of ministering to people with substance use disorders, incarcerating them with violent predators, all while passively encouraging a very violent and lucrative business opportunity for those brave enough to participate in the underground substance economy. I foresee this topic being a political and religious hot potato over the next decade or so. We will all likely arrive at various and nuanced views on the subject. Our positions will no doubt be informed by our religious and cultural upbringing, our personal political perspectives, and our own personal experiences, or lack thereof, with these substances. We will likely have a multitude of positive and negative examples to consider as the legal framework changes and more people begin using these substances. So why would a person like myself, who views psychedelics and most other substances as a gift from the Creator, not make regular use of these substances and enjoy their presumed benefits? First and foremost, I take my relationship with Christ, my family, and the church very seriously, and value those things in far higher regard than any perceived benefit or enjoyment I might receive from a substance. The negative consequences of physical or mental addiction, unemployment, and legal repercussions far outweigh the potential positive benefits that might result from such substance use for me personally. There are many healthy, legal, and less dangerous substances and practices that I can use and enjoy the benefits of without the potential negative health, 
spiritual, and social consequences of using substances that are dangerously habit-forming and or illegal. I am absolutely in favor of the decriminalization of substance use and possession. Almost no one suffering with a substance use disorder is helped by spending time in prison or paying fines. This makes them an even greater burden on society and completely removes their support network and eliminates their positive contributions to their families and society. If, however, they are guilty of other legitimate offenses, there are legal procedures in place to address those offenses separate from their substance use. Most Christians who often speak on the topic of psychedelics, a number of whom I have interviewed on this podcast and whom I have a deep and abiding respect for, do not share my opinion. Many think substance use, psychedelics particularly, is far too dangerous for Christians or anyone else to experiment with. Although I respect them and share their concerns, I cannot completely deny the right of Christians to access something that God has created or permitted, that in and of itself has no power to heal or corrupt. Many of them will speak about the aforementioned scriptural prohibition on the practices of sorcery and pharmacia as legitimate prohibition of psychedelics. I disagree. The practices of sorcery and pharmacia are significantly more involved than the simple use of a substance. It involves the invocation of or the establishment of relationships with negative spiritual forces, often with the goal of personal gain or insight, and often with the goal of manipulating others. I wholeheartedly agree that this is a dangerous and evil practice, but it can just as easily be practiced without the use of substances. I also understand why they reach this conclusion, because many indigenous and New Age psychedelic practitioners are using these substances in such practices, some knowingly and some in ignorance. Some also believe that the mere use of psychedelics places the user in a spiritual realm that we are commanded not to enter. I have yet to come across a convincing argument for this idea. We are spiritual beings that just happen to also temporally exist in a physical world that is not itself separate from the spiritual world, just largely blind and deaf to it. Again, I believe the danger of using psychedelics hinges on the heart, mind, and intentions of the user. And even if you come to agree with me on this topic, you would be wise to respect the concerns of those who disagree. They are most often not teetotalers who don't want anyone to have fun. They are most all well-meaning people who have had their own dangerous and challenging experiences with psychedelics and genuinely seek to prevent the suffering of others. There is so much more that can be said on this topic and I encourage your respectful feedback, whether you agree or disagree with my perspective. My hope is that we, as followers of Christ, will rise to the occasion by entering this conversation with education, grace, and divinely inspired hearts and minds. And until we meet again to consider the intersection of Christian faith and psychedelics, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Mm-hmm.